this new phenomenon of people feeling like they're younger than they are and like they were gypped of certain years of their lives and almost a grieving process of whether it was dating years they could have capitalized on or time with older family members that they can't get back because they weren't able to see them. Hey guys, welcome back to Mostly Balanced with Mia and Carly. Hi guys, welcome back. We have an episode today all about therapy with Hillary. Yeah, I love chatting with Hillary. We've had therapists and psychiatrists on the podcast before, but this is the first time that that's been the main focus of the episode. And she had so many great insights, whether you've been going to therapy for years or you're thinking about going for the first time. Yes, she had great advice. I really loved her. And yes, it was really interesting. I think if you're therapy curious or just want to better your sessions, it was a really great episode. We also covered dating and a lot of really interesting themes coming out of COVID and how to better your communication with your partner. So we covered a lot of really interesting topics and she brought a conversation or a perspective to the conversation that I we haven't really talked about before. So a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, definitely. I really, really like it. So hopefully you guys all love it too. And before we get into it, we always usually talk about things that we're trying, but right now Mia is traveling in LA. Yeah. Talk about travel. I honestly haven't tried anything new. And this week has been, I've been out of my own home and traveling, so nothing new to report. But LA is so fun. My sister has lived here for almost 10 years, maybe more, and she's married now and she has two kids. So she just had a new baby in December. We came to visit him and it's been so much fun. And my friends recently moved here. So we've been like hopping around and seeing different areas. So we went to Venice, went to a restaurant there and also just living the valley life with my sister because they moved out here. And today we went on a hike and it was so much fun. It was a lot more strenuous than I thought because I had done like Runyon's Canyon in the past. I was telling Carly and that trail was much flatter. And this one was a legitimate hike. And Dan, who if you've listened to the podcast knows, you know, he doesn't really exercise much. (laughs) He loved a hike. So we're so active in LA and I think we want to move here. TBD. That conversation will be continued. But and then we got in and out. Oh yeah, how was the in and out? Okay, here's my here's my review. I've had in and out before. Today we were not in and out. We waited for like 45 minutes. So it was kind of a mess. I think we went at prime time. And I don't know, like it wasn't necessarily worth a 45 minute wait today, but it was so good. I love in and out. It's obligatory. I've only ever had it once and I got it like without the bun. I think I was on like a really big health kick. (laughs) It was like right after I finished Whole30. So I wasn't doing it anymore, but I was like, I'm going to get it with like a lettuce wrap. It was still like amazing, but I'm sure it's better when it's on an actual bun. Yeah. And we got animal style. So that was delicious. And fries and I got a black and white milkshake. I really earned it after my hike. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are having such a good time in LA. I'm really jealous. And honestly, it's just amazing that we can work remote right now. I feel like to be able to not have to take a full like week or five full days off from work and still be able to enjoy yourself, especially when you're working on New York hours and you're in LA, you still have like the whole afternoon. I know. I was thinking about that recently, like even before COVID work from home wasn't really a thing. So if I wanted to do this trip, I would have had to take like three or four vacation days. Yeah. The fact that we could just come here and I work from like 7am to one or two. It's amazing. I've really been thinking about that a lot 
holiday, I think my lifestyle is going to change a little bit because I'm going on this trip in April and I'm barely taking any time off. Like I'm taking a couple of days for the days that I want to be like fully immersed in vacation mode and everything. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why I haven't been doing more of that, especially when I've been up here in New Paltz. I think obviously because COVID there's been highs and lows when you don't feel as comfortable traveling. And also just because like winter, I feel like I don't ever want to like be dealing with planning travel and everything. But yeah, it's such a plus. I honestly am so happy to be working remote and I hope it never goes away. I know. My sister and Hannah were both saying today that companies in LA are like so excited to get back to work and (laughs) they haven't really adopted a full remote or hybrid schedule. I feel like in New York, everywhere is hybrid and so much more lenient whether you're coming back to the office. I don't know. I feel like that's going to change. I think a lot of people are like getting ready to go back. I feel like the bigger companies are announcing definitely you're right, like hybrid. Like I think like three days in the office, sometimes four though. I feel like honestly, I'm like picturing like a year from now, everybody being like, oh, I remember work from home and everyone's like back in the no. office and like laughing about this time. So no, I refuse. I cannot go back to an office five days a week. That's when I'll quit for sure. If anyone out there is listening, don't make me go back. I know. We wanted to keep this intro pretty short. And I think that's pretty much all we had to talk about. Yeah, I'm not home. So we don't have our Esther Perel cards. We'll have to do an extra one next week. Yeah, definitely. But well, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you love the episode. Yes, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Welcome back. Today, we are having a conversation all about mental health. So we are joined by psychotherapist and founder of HLW Therapy. She specializes in the treatment of depression, anxiety, relationship issues, eating disorders, and she's here to help you explore what's keeping you feeling stuck. So welcome to Mostly Balanced, Hillary Weinstein. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Wow, all of those topics. I'm so excited to talk about them. Can you tell everybody listening a little bit more about you, where you're from, where you live, and a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, of course. I am from originally Long Island. I have lived in Manhattan since graduating from undergrad. And then I pursued psychology and I worked at inpatient and outpatient units of hospitals for a while. Then I specifically went to an institute to study and focus on recovery from eating disorders and all that goes into that and the origins of that because growing up I had an eating disorder. So I always knew I wanted to go into private practice and make that a big component of my practice. So then in 2018, I opened up my own practice called HLW Therapy which was, is based in New York. We had a home and office before COVID hit. And ever since then, it's been telehealth and I've expanded. I have two therapists working with me who are licensed in New York, New Jersey and Connecticut and hoping to add some more to the team soon. That's amazing. Congratulations on starting your own practice. I think that is the dream. And you actually answered one of my next questions, if you had always known therapy was a route you wanted to take for career, and if you had been in therapy or had something that kind of triggered what you ended up specializing in. So 
I appreciate that you fully experienced one of your specialties and that it's amazing you're coming full circle to help other people that have gone through similar circumstances you have. Thank you. Yeah, I often find that therapists, no matter how educated, can just offer a little bit more in the way of rapport and trust building with patients if the patient knows that with appropriate self-disclosure that you've been through whatever they're going through as well and can educate them and guide them on a personal level too. So I'm definitely really happy to have that a part of my practice. I could totally see how that would be really impactful with the relationships that you're building with your clients and the trust that they probably already come into the conversation with. And Mia obviously named a few different specialties that you have. Would you say eating disorders is the biggest one that you're seeing most of your clients about? Or is it really across those topics? Eating disorders is definitely where my personal and educational background has been the most robust, especially because I did dedicate time and study to specifically that. And I have a good handful of clients who are suffering from eating disorders. But I would say the overall demographic, both between the clients that I see and the two therapists working for me, the clients that they see, would largely be a mix of generalized anxiety, anxiety disorder, depression, struggling with dating and relationships, struggling to cope with COVID in the past three years, and transitions that's entailed, friendships, jobs, all of that. You really cover the gamut of, I'm sure, like you said, feelings that have been amplified over the past three years. Have you found that there's been an uptick in people seeking therapy as a result of COVID? And did COVID maybe like spark some issues or some recurring feelings that people have had, but it was just the impetus to get there? Like, what are some COVID trends? A hundred percent. I mean, I think a silver lining if you could ever say there was one of COVID, is that mental health got so much more advocation in like mainstream media and social media. And even like, if you're watching Hulu, like any commercials that come up, there'd be a lot of advocation for mental health and just whether it was a specific organization or just like a, hey, go seek therapy kind of thing. I think that COVID and mental health have an interesting relationship in that there's many people who struggled with mental health disorders or patterns of behavior that they weren't pleased with, et cetera, that they hadn't addressed or sought help for. And then with, again, that greater advocation for mental health, they felt less stigmatized and more comfortable to reach out. And then I feel like a lot of people who had no prior experience with mental health started to experience some of the symptoms that come with depression or anxiety by virtue of not being able to leave their house and staying in their head all day. So I think both really amplified the uptick in seeking help. Do you feel like now that things are starting, knock on wood, to get back to a normal that we recognize from pre-COVID, do you think that now those feelings are starting to dissipate for people or do they tend to kind of stick around because we've been in this place for so long? I definitely see some dissipating, but there's this new phenomenon of people, a lot of people, myself included, honestly, 
feeling like they're younger than they are and like they were gypped of certain years of their lives and almost a grieving process of like whether it was dating years they could have capitalized on or time with older family members that they can't get back because they weren't able to see them. So that's been a conflicting emotion that I see with a lot of people. It's like, I'm, of course, people are so happy to re-enter life, but also like me, I'm 32 and I kind of identify as a 29-year-old. You are like speaking directly to my soul right now because I'm also 32 <laughs> and I feel like I'm sure you just saw my face light up when you said that because I'm like, other people feel that way. Like, I totally feel that. Not necessarily do I feel younger, but I'm like, wait, but I didn't even get those two years. So like what happened? And it's almost infantilizing, like a bit of a sense of regression to be like all of the things that could have happened in those two years, be it career building or travel, friendship building or traveling or whatever. Without that experience, I mean, your age doesn't really reflect your experiences. (laughs) I know that like in the eating disorder community, that's a concept that's discussed a lot of like, let's say you have an eating disorder from, I don't know, 13 to 20, for example. And during that time, you either were isolating and not doing the things typical 13 to 20 year olds would do, or you had to take time off of school or work or whatever, that in recovery settings, you'll hear a lot of patients say, I feel so much younger than than my peers. I feel like I don't have that experience. I, I feel like I don't know how to adult, things like that. And I feel like the three years of COVID has kind of emulated that a bit. Yeah, that is so interesting. And that is a theme. And I think a lot of people are feeling that way. I turned 30 and like my whole grade of friends in my exact year feel the same way. Like we all turned 30 in COVID. It's supposed to be this milestone. And we ended our 20s in a year of isolation. And I think a lot of people, I totally agree with you, the people that lost out on dating or meeting people out, you can look back at those years and feel a little bit of a loss. So how do you kind of approach those conversations? You're not getting that time back. And no matter whether it is COVID, or I'm sure, like you said, with eating disorders or many other situations people are in where they have similar feelings of losing time. But what is your advice there or process of helping people have restored faith, I guess? I try to focus and direct those conversations to reframing, especially for women, because unlike men, like biologically, fertility wise, more of a clock, that issue comes up a lot. And I try to reframe it as this idea of a timeline being a pretty abstract construct in the core of it. And I think that's something that social media amplifies and everyone compares themselves as like, well, this friend gets engaged, this friend gets married, this friend's on baby number two, or and here I am with one kid, or here I am, whatever. And kind of flipping that and not looking at the highlight reel. Like no one posts their bad days. And more and more I'm seeing people or I'm starting to follow people who are open and transparent about like, hey, I'm actually going through postpartum depression. And like, I did a podcast with Sarah Merrill for Big Kid Problems. And she's eight months pregnant right now. And she was talking about how she's been really transparent with her emotions during pregnancy. And I think that's really helpful for a lot of people to see because so many people don't post their lows. And when we're just looking at the highlight reel, like, 
How do you know what happens behind closed doors with that apparently perfect couple? How do you know that they're not going to be a divorce statistic or like knock on wood, God forbid, I'm not wishing any ill to anyone, but that they lose someone in their life. They like, you just don't know at any point. And I ask some clients, like, would you rather meet someone at 27 and have your bachelorettes all perfectly in line with your friends? And then you get divorced or have some tragedy four, five, 10 years down the road? Or do you rather meet someone at 35, 40, 45 and have a really happy love story and family for the rest of your life? And the answer is always the latter when you try to reframe it from taking away this power that we give to timelines. Totally. We are so aligned with that. And we talk about that a lot and how like slippery of a slope that is. And same thing with comparison. Like you're saying, if you're comparing to people on social media or even people that you're seeing at like a dinner party or events or things like you're just seeing the best version of themselves that they're putting forward. And I think that like having some form of jealousy or envy, things like that can be like a little bit helpful to point you in the direction of things that you might want. But if you actually convince yourself that you're seeing the full picture of that person's life and start to compare it to what your life looks like and feel down on yourself, that's obviously not good at all for your mental health. And it kind of leads me into another thing we wanted to talk to you about, which was just things that we might be doing that we don't even realize that are negatively impacting our mental health. So can you give a few more examples of what people can tune into with their behavior day to day? Yeah, absolutely. There's this concept of cognitive distortions in cognitive behavioral therapy that I think is exactly what you're talking about and what all humans across the board experience day to day, whether they recognize it or not. And it's exactly what it sounds like, cognitive distortions. It's distorted, faulty thoughts. I love them because if you can put a name to it and identify them, you can catch yourself and understand what you're doing. So an example of that would be catastrophizing. So you, let's say you have a bad date and, or like you have a good date and the guy doesn't text you back. And then you go to the worst case scenario, catastrophic conclusion well, he didn't like me, so I must be unlovable. So no one's going to like me. I'm going to end up alone, right? So that would be one. Mind reading is a really big one. So a lot of people tend to try to figure out or just assume what other people are thinking about them and project their own negative insecurities onto what they think someone else across the table from them or in a meeting with them or whatever is thinking about them. And there's no data for that. There's no evidence. We can't prove that they're thinking negatively of us or positively of us, short of them verbally, literally telling us what they're thinking. Jumping to conclusions, black and white thinking, like one extreme or the other, personalizing. So personalizing, it's kind of like mind reading and sometimes they overlap, but just like assuming that... If a friend is being short with you, for example, they're mad at you as opposed to they just got yelled at by their boss. Yeah. So I think we all do things like that on a daily basis and being able to label them and recognize them can help us kind of like reroute. Mm -hmm. I'm smiling throughout your whole explanation here because I find myself doing these things all the time. I'm such a projector. I create these scenarios in my head where I then feel like I'm controlling the situation and already feel like I know exactly what everyone else is thinking. And 
that is why I love therapy and why I have had such an amazing experience because we together in my therapy sessions are able to start identifying these patterns over time and realize that some of my like anxiety or past trust issues in relationships has caused me to tend to want to control situations. And I tend to project a lot of emotions and feelings on other people and that mind reading aspect. So these are things that everyone I'm sure does, whether on a small scale or on a large scale, where it then kind of overtakes their life. But it's really just identifying the problem and seeing how it happens over time and then putting a word to it. That is the first step of working through it. Yeah. And I love that you brought that back to control because that's really what it's about is all these faulty thoughts, all these cognitive distortions. It's because inherently everything is uncertain. So most people, I mean, I, I don't think I have ever encountered someone who is comfortable with uncertainty or doesn't want to try to exert some kind of control over a situation. And especially with during COVID times when everything was uncertain, but even hopefully, quote unquote, knock on wood, post-COVID times, when you're vulnerable and insecure, knee-jerk reaction is to try to control it, even if it's self-sabotaging at the end of the day, if you're really nervous about a date because you're thinking all these negative things about yourself. So you go into the date and you're really preoccupied and you're not present and you're not your full self. And then you come home and you're like, well, I knew it. I knew I wasn't good enough for him. I knew he wouldn't like me. I knew he wouldn't call me back. It's like, actually, he might have if you were confident in your full present self and didn't get all in your head beforehand. Like, you don't know. (laughs) Even if it negatively impacts you, there's a sense of control of being able to be like, I knew it. I had control Mm -hmm. over the fact that I knew it. Yeah. And like you said, even just having a name for some of these thoughts that we're having or these behaviors that we're doing every single day, having a name for it and being able to recognize it, it helps so much. It clicks and you're like, wow, okay, I am doing that. I don't remember if I read it in a book or heard it on a podcast, but the advice to write down all the thoughts that you have throughout the day and then go back and and read them and you'll notice what your patterns are and what your behavior toward yourself is. And I remember doing it and being like, oh my God, I'm so mean to myself. And it's not things that you're actively aware of. Like you'll look in the mirror and say like, oh, I look so terrible or you'll do something wrong at work and you'll be like, I'm so dumb. You're thinking these things and you're jumping to these conclusions. If you're not seeing a therapist and talking about these things, it can be really hard to even recognize that it's happening and then you're not working through it because you're not even aware of it. Yeah, a lot of people's self-talk is negative because I think the fear is that other people are going to think something negative about yourself. So you're kind of beating them to the punch. I love and I think it's really important to surround yourself, especially like mid-20s, 30s. It's not quantity of friends, like a whole sorority. It's quality and a smaller group of friends. I think it's so important to have friends who you can be transparent about mental health or insecurities or what have you. The other day, I was at dinner with a friend and we hadn't seen each other in a while and she took a selfie of us and I was like, ew, like my eyes look lopsided. And she was like, what? And she's like, all right, let's stop with the self-hating and I'm going to post this picture and look at it tomorrow and let me know what you think. And I looked the next day and I was like, I actually look really pretty. (laughs) (laughs) 
why was I like trying to anticipate other people's thoughts and negative mm-hmm. perceptions of me by insulting myself first? Yeah, that totally happens. Mia and I will take pictures together and I'll be like, don't post that. And then like a year later, I'll look at it and be like, this is such a cute <laughs> picture of us. Why did we never post it? <laughs> It's so funny. And it's like your mindset in the moment and just sitting with some thoughts. And I love that you mentioned having the right group of people around you in your 20s and 30s to really advocate for mental health and have a safe space. We talk so much on here. Your 20s and your 30s are such pivotal times. You're changing so much. There's so much option. And I feel like that's the first time in your life that you really are on such different playing fields from so many people. Like you said earlier, a friend of mine could have three kids already and another friend of mine could have like never had a relationship before. So there's such vast differences in people's experiences at this time. And people should talk more about their mental health. And I think when you don't, you tend to start doing those things that you just said of projecting and trying to control. And I love the advocacy for a more open conversation. And I try to do that on our own platform. Sometimes I feel like a downer because I'll post like a really negative post and be like, wait, am I, do I just always come on here in a bad mood? But I'd like to share it. Yeah, I love that as a consumer of your podcast. I love when you guys, because it's, it's real talk. It's stuff that you so often don't see or hear on social media. And I sometimes like I will look at my own therapy Instagram and be like, is this just one huge negative thing? (laughs) No, it's relatable. (laughs) But I mean, yeah, that's the purpose of trying to be like, hey, you're not alone. It's also hard to like muster up any type of other content if you are feeling (laughs) a certain way. So I find that it's helpful sometimes to share it and hopefully other people either relate or just say, oh, these people who have a social media presence who always post like wonderful things and advice, like they too have bad days. So more of that for everyone. (laughs) There's also a lot of accounts that have, I mean, my biggest pet peeve is toxic positivity. So like, I had to unfollow a lot of therapy accounts that were like, smile. And I was like, oh, thanks. I didn't think of that. Like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Or like kind of absurd, overly optimistic quotes and advice under the guise of mental health and improving your mood. And I'm like, all right, I get it. I made my bed. I smiled. I still feel shitty. (laughs) Yeah. Unfollowing is so necessary with things like that when you recognize how it's making you feel. Yeah. You've kind of talked about, we've talked a little bit about dating and the role that all of these things play in our dating lives, but we wanted to talk more about the dating landscape today. Are you in a relationship? I'm not. Okay. So I'm sure you're very familiar with dating apps. What do you think about all of these different options that we have, even with the people that you're talking to with your patients? Do you feel like they have more anxiety because of things like dating apps or how does COVID come into play? Just what are your thoughts in general about the dating scene? Yeah, I mean, I think in a sense, it's advantageous to have multiple platforms like now that we're not isolating. We can go out in real life and meet meet people. We can go on dating apps. But I talk with my patients a lot about this. And I have read a lot about this. I think for straight females, there is on dating apps, a huge disadvantage of I forget, I'm going to butcher the exact statistic, but I'm in the ballpark of like, the qualifications, be that like, good education, good job, decently good looking, 
what have you of males that straight females seek make up like 20% of the straight males on most of these dating apps. Whereas those 20% when interviewed would go for 80% of females meeting their qualifications. So in that sense, there's a big disadvantage because there's a lot more pick and there's also a lot wider of an age range that males can go for that a lot of like, I don't want to date a 24 year old man. (laughs) (laughs) Who does? But like a 30 year old man might really hit it off with a 25 year old woman. So I think the algorithms for dating apps in that regard can be a disadvantage. So I think relying on one thing, whether that's relying on meeting your soulmate every time you go to a bar or relying completely on dating apps, I think that's not a good idea. But the fact that there's both and there are options can't hurt, except for that algorithm detail. Yeah. Yeah. That's a discouraging statistic, but... (laughs) I think dating apps are great and there's so much more opportunity. And I, like I said earlier, just in a time when people don't leave their home during COVID or with people traveling or being more flexible, a dating app is an amazing resource to have, but it totally comes back to your mindset and using it. And we've discussed here, even the mentality of being a maximizer or always thinking there's something more or something better. Mm -hmm. I think that type of mentality, whether it is in dating and it could be related to your career or anything. I think with so many options out there, that is something someone really has to recognize in themselves that is this a feeling of, no, this person's not right for me. And I want someone who meets these qualifications. Or is this a repeated pattern where nothing ever is feeling right because of all the choice? Right. And it's, I mean, there's also, I don't want to call it a personality trait, but cognitive distortion is if you're pessimistic about the opportunities out there on dating apps, then you're probably less likely to be open to have some more wiggle room with your quote unquote requirements and not go on a date with someone because of a small detail that you might, if you went on the date, might not even be correct about or might not matter in the scheme of your attraction to that person or your compatibility. I think it was How to Not Die Alone, the book written by... Um, Logan Yuri. Yeah, yeah, She was talking about how her biggest thing was just taking the opportunity and, and like maximizing the amount of people that you go out with and attempt because otherwise you're definitely not going to help yourself if you're just sitting on the couch negative about yourself or negative about the opportunity. That is so true. That's such a good point. I honestly think, I mean, I don't think I know that I'm more likely to go out on a date with somebody that I met in person or that someone set me up with who I don't think checks any of my boxes than I am with someone on Hinge who might check like half of them. Like I feel like if I saw the same guy on Hinge, I'd be like, "Mm, no, probably because of like the blocks I have about the apps or just all of the choice that's on there. But then like Mia's like, oh, I met this great guy and I see him and he's again, like doesn't have any of the things I thought I wanted, but I would still go. So it's just one of those things, like you said, that people have in their head. Right. It's like kind of just taking that leap of faith and trusting the process as opposed to like you were saying, like, I might not go on this date from the app because I don't have total faith in that, but I have faith in a friend that's vetted a person. 
Yeah. Like you're like, well, why is he on an app? And I'm like, but I'm on an app. Like everyone's on an app. So it's just, it's also, I feel like at our age, because we saw the apps kind of start and they were such like a, I don't know, first it was kind of seen as more of a hookup thing. And then it was like, oh, you're on a dating app. So people that today are, I don't know, 22 years old, that's just what you do. But it was, I think we still have these underlying feelings about the apps, or at least I do. Yeah, I definitely think like late 20s, early 30s, there's still a little bit of a stigma, even though it's so hypocritical, because we're literally on them. Yeah. Do you get patients who come to see you without really like any reason who just want somebody to talk to? Yeah, on occasion, like I'll have some people come and say like, things are generally fine. But my friend sees a therapist and says it's really helpful to recognize and be more self-aware about things I might actually be avoiding. So let's just start talking. And I I respect that a lot. Yeah, I always think everyone should be in therapy. I did start therapy because of a specific situation I was going through, but I have stuck with her and continued to have consistent sessions, even when things are great, because you always have those thoughts that you mentioned earlier that can just subtly come up. And no, it might not be an issue if you notice yourself projecting your feelings a lot or wanting to control situations. That might not be a strong impetus to say, I really need to see a therapist. But going consistently and having those conversations, you really start to just understand a lot more about yourself. But do you have recommendations for getting someone else in therapy if you recognize that it would be helpful for whether in a relationship or a friend, someone who just hasn't had the eye-opening experience of therapy is great no matter what situation you're in? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a touchy, difficult topic because you have no idea what their prior influences like from family or whatever are about the stigmas of therapy. The way I would and have gone about it would be, and this is something that I was reading once and I'll never forget about how females relate to each other versus how males relate to each other. And females are so much more likely to kind of lower themselves and be vulnerable in order to be relatable, to open the other female up to be vulnerable and relatable and create a bond. Like it reminds me of the scene in Mean Girls where she's like, oh, I have man shoulders. Like, oh, like, yeah, I think Lindsay Lohan is like, my nail beds suck because she <laughs> has lived in Africa and like wasn't accustomed to this like more Western female bonding situation. But I use that as kind of like, well, this is why therapy has helped me and like be a little bit vulnerable about my experience and whatever I can speak to with that. If there's something, I mean, that's a different situation than if there's something like really glaringly obvious, like an addiction or something like that. I think that requires a little bit more of a structured intervention situation between loved ones. Or if you're in a relationship and you're just not seeing eye to eye or there's this recurrent pattern, I think it's really good to have communication about like, hey, like, can we bring a third party into this and just like see what happens so that we're not always at each other's throats and blaming each other? Yeah, definitely. 
I mean, I'm in a relationship and I always want to go to couples therapy just because I, I love therapy myself and I identify so much just communication things that could be improved or ahead of getting married or ahead of having children, bringing someone else in to just mm-hmm. have those tools in your toolbox for when a conflict arises. Mm-hmm. It's just so helpful, but it's so hard to, I think couples therapy is a little easier to request of someone. I think it's not really your place to say, I think you need to be in therapy. Unless, of course, more of the extreme circumstances you mentioned. Right. But I mean, not necessarily like if you're, let's say you're living with your partner and there's something that's separate from your dynamic as a couple, you're seeing extreme anger issues or extreme projection when it comes to work or something like that. There are definitely ways to be like, hey, like, I want you to be your happiest self. I think we could be our happiest selves as a couple. Like a couple is only as strong as the most unhappy partner in the couple. So like I'm doing my work, like this is something that sounds like stresses you out pretty regularly. I think it could be helpful for you to talk to an unbiased party about it because even like I'm here to talk to you about it, but like I might not be as helpful as a professional or like a total third party. Definitely. I think it's definitely your place to suggest it to your partner. And if you're explaining it in that way and giving all those reasons on that note, outside of talking to a therapist together or separately, what are some of your tips for improving communication and relationships? I mean, I think communication is absolutely essential and can make or break a relationship. So I know it can feel really vulnerable if you're on the end of thinking that you're communicating more than your partner or you're not getting the communication or affirmation or whatever it is that you need from your partner. No one wants to be, I hate this word, but for lack of a better word, colloquial wise, no one wants to be the needier or more dependent one in a relationship. And I think that blocks a lot of people from bringing up the communication talk. But I think what it comes down to is addressing like, hey, I don't think we're as good as we can be. And you can start by listing like all the reasons why you love the other person and you're compatible and being like, but I feel like this kind of gets in the way because this is a need that I have. And I feel like this isn't really a priority for you. And I'm wondering, are there any needs or signs of love that you aren't getting from me? Like, can we talk about it? Or, and, or do we need someone else to intervene so that we can talk about it? But like, I think we would be our best if we just had a clear line of what we need when and how to meet it for each other. Definitely. I like that the way you phrase that is kind of speaking in the I statements, but also opening them up to maybe consider things that they haven't before or maybe haven't had the space or felt comfortable to verbalize. Like, is there something I'm not doing or I'm not giving you or something that you wish I was doing more of? I think those types of conversations should just be much more normalized in relationships because it's hard to come out and say to someone in a happy relationship, I wish you were doing X, Y, or Z more. Some people might feel really comfortable, but a lot of people wouldn't want to upset their partner or bring up an issue that doesn't exist already. So, right. I think the big difference there is a you statement versus an I statement. Yeah. Nobody receives a, this is wrong with you or you're doing this wrong well. But I think if you can just flip it to be like, hey, I feel sad or I feel unheard when this happens, is there anything that I'm doing that makes you feel that way? And how can we bridge the gap? Yeah. 
Do you have tips for somebody who is new to therapy and ways that they could get the most out of their first few sessions or things that they should ask in the first few sessions or anything like that? I think number one would be this isn't like talking to a friend or a family member. There are boundaries in place for a reason to make it a safe space for therapy. Short of admitting a homicide, a therapist cannot tell anyone about what you're saying in the room. It's a completely judgment-free zone. A therapist is usually a therapist because they've been through shit themselves and they wanted to help other people. So they're definitely unlikely to be judging you. So to kind of toss that out the window, but acknowledge that it is a relationship and like any relationship, it's okay to like slowly open up and peel back the layers, but to try not to hide anything and to try to be transparent about what got you there, what's going on. And if you have an idea, what you think your goals are and what you want help with, if you don't have an idea, just talk. The therapist will help collaboratively do that with you. Yeah, it can be hard to like know where to begin. That's why I asked earlier if you have people who ever see you just for no reason, really. And I don't necessarily mean for no reason. Like there are reasons, but sometimes you want to talk to someone who's going to like help you dig into what those reasons even are. So I think what you're saying, it helps put it into perspective to know that it is a relationship and it's going to take time to build up to that point. Yeah. And but you also like the big piece of advice I have is if you're not just like any relationship, friendship, like, you know, when you meet a girlfriend, like it could be in the bathroom at a bar and you're like, oh, I like this girl. I want to have dinner with her. She's going to be in my tribe. I like her or like whatever, you know, when you hit it off with someone and when you don't. And you know, when you feel uncomfortable by someone or judged Mm. by someone and when you don't. And Therapists are human and there are plenty of therapists who have their own biases that might bleed into a session or their relationship with a patient. And if you ever feel uncomfortable or you don't feel like you're hitting it off, there are hundreds of thousands of other therapists out there. Like it's like dating. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like a yeah, date. Just because like you found one and went through the process doesn't mean you got to marry the person. Like if you're not comfortable, find someone who you're really comfortable with. I'm glad you brought that up. Similar to what I said earlier about a kind of dating maximizer person, I sometimes feel that way with my therapist. I love her and I've been with her for years, but I always wonder like, what are other therapists like? Would I get more out of another relationship? And I like her. My previous therapist didn't talk much at all. I really enjoy my relationship with my therapist now because she doesn't talk too much, but she very much will like take the reins and start explaining things to me and start asking me more questions. She's much more communicative. So I think your therapist style is really important in that way. And curious what your therapy style is. Are you more of a listener? Do you talk more if you're willing to share? Or is it different? Yeah, absolutely. I'm willing to share. I'm pretty interactive. I mean, I do my best to read a room and dependent on the context or significance of the conversation or when it's most appropriate for me to just like be learning more about the person and gathering information, then I am actively listening. But if we're talking about a patient I've been seeing for a while, which could range from, I don't know, six months to six years, I will absolutely call a person on their bullshit or be like, well, you're doing this thinking trap or like, Really? Has that worked before for you? Like, how about we switch gears? And my personality, that is my personality to my friends and my family. It is in the room. 
when Mm. it's appropriate. So I am pretty interactive in myself, but when necessary, especially in the beginning, it's a lot of active listening and sussing out what the dynamics and presenting real struggles are. And I'm very empathetic by nature, so I can offer that compassion, but I also will be tough and call bullshit. I love that because it's like you have a real person there talking to you and holding you accountable and everything. Yeah, like I'm happy to psychoeducate and throw around the jargon and be like, this is what you're doing. This is where it comes from. Hey, have you thought about this relating to this dynamic in your life or this trigger? Absolutely. But I like to have it as like just more of a real conversation. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's so much more personal. Yeah. And that level of comfort, if you're getting that from your therapist, just makes you feel more comfortable to talk more. If you feel like this is a real person and we're having a conversation and she's calling me out on what I'm doing, I feel like that it just lowers the bar of like, not that it's not professional, but you you, know, you have a little bit more of a rapport. Yeah. I mean, I don't like the sterile, like Freudian, super professional laying on a couch situation. Like, I mean, that's me. So everyone has their differences, right. but like. Before I found my therapist, I had therapists before that who I just felt intimidated by because they were so quiet and I felt like they were judging my every switch of position of my knees or whatever. (laughs) And I find comfort when I know that a therapist will say like, hey, this is irrational because then I'm not constantly insecure that they're holding something back from me. And I, if I am doing something wrong or repeating a pattern in my life that I can trust that they'll let me know it. That's a great point. Wow. This is all so helpful. We always like to close with rapid fire. So let's switch gears a little bit and learn more about you outside of what you do every day. What are three things that you use every single day besides like your phone and your computer and things like that? Hand lotion. I don't know why the scent and the act of moisturizing myself kind of makes me not focus on my thoughts. So I always have a little hand lotion thing with me. My AirPods, probably another thing just to get me out of my head, whether that's music or a podcast. And my dog leash, because I'm always with my dog. I love it. it. He is so cute. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. Oh, so cute. Outside of therapy and everything we've spoken about for an hour now, what is something you could talk for hours about? This is going to make me sound morbid and possibly <laughs> like a sociopath, but cults, missing cases, <laughs> unsolved murders, same, and sociopaths or narcissists. I love it. Oh my it. God. <laughs> I find the psychology in. Um, I know it. you said stuff you could talk about that doesn't have to do with psychology, but like it kind of comes back to it. It's different, but it does. Yeah. And that's, it sounds awful because like I want the missing people to come back. <laughs> I just want to figure out what happened and what the hell led to that and kind of want to be like, put me in coach. Let me help. Oh my God. A murder documentary on Netflix. There was like a year, I think it was pre-COVID, but there was like one after another. And that was the best time period of my life. I was going to say everything that she said was right up your alley. Like cults. I feel like you love watching those documentaries. (laughs) (laughs) What have you dreamt of being famous for? Winning The Voice or American Idol or any kind of singing competition. And then like just 
diving into stardom for singing. And I have no tune and completely tone deaf, have never been able to sing. <laughs> so uh, if you were on The Voice or American Idol, what kind of songs would you be singing? Probably anything to get me on Blake Shelton's team. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah, it's like something country. I love country music. We love to close with advice. So what advice would you give to your younger self? It's very therapy related. The advice that I would give to my younger self is to not wait until crisis to ask for help. I started seeing a therapist when I was like 21 and I absolutely needed to start seeing a therapist around like 16, but I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be a burden. I held it in and that created a whole pattern of problems that followed me into my 20s that I think if was intervened earlier wouldn't have been so or been as severe. So to what you were talking about earlier, like, I think there's a lot of value of seeking therapy, even if you feel like everything's fine, and you don't have a specific thing. But yeah, just not to be afraid to seek help. Therapists, jobs, it's their livelihood. No one's judging you. It's only going to benefit you. That's such great advice. I really like that. Tell everybody listening where they can find you and if you guys are accepting patients right now. Yeah. So my Instagram is, it's all the same. My Instagram is HLW at HLW therapy. My email is HLWtherapy at gmail.com. Just my initials, Hillary Leanne Weinstein, real original. And my practice is accepting patients. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. We love exploring mental health and always love hearing more about therapists, like what's happening on the other side of the chair. Thank you so much for happening. It was so much fun talking to you guys. Yes, thank you. It really was so helpful. 